0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Time is nonlinear here in the digital realm of the internet. <laughs> I am really excited about today's podcast episode. If you have not been following the YouTube channel and you haven't been seeing the shorts that I publish before and after an episode, I would highly encourage you to do that. And um, it's just a good way to kind of look at the little nuggets that come through. And you're able to connect with a interviewee in a way that is just kind of next level, in my opinion, because you get to see them with you know full regalia. <laughs> There's a little bit of music in the background, but just a fun little way to connect with me. Through social media, I have a YouTube through Sunglasses No Cap. I also have an Instagram, Sunglasses No Cap, and then of course the Twitter. And if you want to continue the conversation, there is an online forum on sunglassesnocap.com and um, you can just find the forum there that I have and you can also submit different uh, avenues of blog uh, (laughs) into the blog realm with me if you'd like to post poetry or any kind of ideas that you'd like to share with the internet and you just... Don't want to do it anywhere else. You want me to do it? I will definitely do that for you. But um, yeah, I am super excited about today's episode. It is Cameron Martinez. Cameron Martinez does prefer the pronouns they, them, there. and we get to talk about some really important things that are going on, not only um in the world of health and um, what it means to be an advocate for the different chronic illnesses that may not uh, easily diagnosable or people are turned away, but we also talk about things like gender queer and being um, at one with your identity. So we we talk a lot about identity and what it means to be a part of a community, and so I'm really looking forward to this episode. We both come from very similar backgrounds, and so um, you can tell that I feel very at home with this person uh, in a very special way, and it's just, it's just really good to connect with Cameron, and I, uh, I really hope that you enjoy the episode as much as I do, and did, and if you would like to watch the episode physically, um, I have that up on YouTube, hopefully around the same time, if you're listening to this podcast, it's definitely up already, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would like to tell you, but I don't think there is so thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast you really just bring so much joy to me so much love and um yeah I'm just gonna get right into the podcast thank you so much for joining anyways I love the spelling of your name um from the moment that I saw you I knew that I was just like smitten like you're just like such a beautiful person not just on the outside but on the inside too and then come to find out all the stuff that you do and all the places you've been. And I am just so excited for this. Okay. Um, so let's just hop right in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we start in the beginning or the end because you're doing so much right now. Yeah. But like, do you want to talk about how you got there first or do you want to?
1: Yeah, we can talk about like the journey to like getting there.
0: Okay. Yeah. So does that start like shipping off to college or like, what is that for you?
1: Um, I think it definitely starts, I feel like encapsulating like birth to 18 is like pretty easy for me to kind of get to that point. Um, cause mm. I was always very outspoken and very, um, attracted to leadership. But then I also was still trying to find my voice and felt like, well, I need to like assimilate to the New Mexican culture and like to my family. So I need to like mm. suppress this leadership and this difference that I was noticing. Um, But then I like slowly was doing um, leadership and like community work with family and like church work. Um, And then I really started to find my voice and did um, mock trial and like choir and like mariachi, all that stuff, like, yeah, all that stuff helped me like find my voice and engage in like community work. And then that was when I was realizing Oh, okay. So like what I want to do with myself and with my passion is to put that into, I didn't know at the time, but I wanted to put it into activism,
0: putting it back into the communities that were mm. important to me. Yeah, yeah. Cause you had such a strong channel and like energy force. You're like, I got to direct this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Then that was kind of, you're doing uh, mock trials and stuff like that in high school. Mm-hmm. Wow. So here in Santa Fe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so at um, Santa Fe High, they had a class called Mock Trial. Mm -hmm. And it was led by um, a current attorney. And so her and her husband owned a practice out here in Santa Fe. And they had decades of experience. They were brilliant. And so I got to learn under her. And then she would bring her husband in as well as um, some of their friends. One of their friends was a public defender. Mm
0: -hmm. He was
1: amazing. And we were able to like, we would get stacks of like, maybe 80 pages of a case and we would have to run through the whole thing and it would have the storyline, the um, evidence that would be put into, um, it was basically a real trial that we were just like going through the whole procedure and she was the judge. So our teacher would kind of go through the process of um, overseeing everything, but it was all on us students to either be like the, the witnesses of sitting there and like memorizing your story or you were a, a lawyer, which
0: is mm. amazing. I feel like this kind of—I don't know—you could tell me, but it shaped what you decided to start doing when you got to university. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow, because it's like you—it sounds like yours, like you picked up on. You're like, I understand the assignment, like get us started. Yeah. Like So um, what? I know you did something really big for your dissertation, uh, right? You did—you did your paper. You like mm-hmm. did something really big. Um, so. Talk about like that process, like how did you go through school and how were you able to overcome the challenges that you might have had um, with discovering like your voice and your opinion and and what matters to you? It was a
1: challenge for sure. I feel like in college I was really struggling with like, who am I outside of New Mexico? Because I Mm -hmm. had like this deep connection to the community and the culture and my upbringing, but then I also felt like there was a disconnect and that I was suppressing who I was and who I wanted to be and the activists that I was kind of like molding myself to be because mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's so different from my family and my upbringing. And, you know, they don't understand this like version of me. And for a long time, I actually hid Cameron and like who I was mm-hmm. because I just didn't know how to reconcile the fact that I was queer and that I was trans mm. um and it was hard mm. and I honestly will say that I'm very grateful for my experience at La Sierra University because it was a religious school
0: I was nervous about being um yeah <laughs> oh, oh, well, <laughs> I was like I thought we were gonna get into this a little bit later but it's happening right now because yeah growing up mm. in Adventism I know that feeling of like <gasps> They did breath. What are they going to think? What are they going to say?
1: And so I was like really struggling for a little bit, but all of the community out there was affirming and supportive. And they were like, no, like we want you to be in leadership. We want you to share your voice. And it doesn't matter that you're queer, you're trans, like you belong here. Incredible. Right. Yeah. So that community like fostered so much love and so much growth. And so Within that, I was able to um, switch my major into social work, really get to learn about like psychology and community and the way that our systems work in this country and like beyond um, and how they like help communities and they also like oppress communities and marginalize them. Um, and so in that, I really started looking at my experience growing up and seeing a lot of, um really difficult like mental health struggles and them not being addressed. Looking at people um, in my family who were experiencing illness and exposure to violence and how all of that shaped their character and it shaped Mm. so much of who they were because they either were never able to access the resources to heal or they were continuously experiencing these traumatizing and marginalizing events. Mm. And so I really took a step to just analyze like where did I come from like how did that shape who I am like how did that shape who Cameron is becoming Mm. and then I basically just went really deep into therapy and really committed to that
0: for five years Mm. not a lot of people can say that not a lot of people are going to have the self-awareness to stop and recognize ooh, what is it that's shaping my character where 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 do I come from Um, that's a self-awareness that definitely like has some level, requires a level of applaud because it's just (laughs) so, and especially with our age, like it's just weird, right? Like our parents and our, and our, even our grandparents didn't, I didn't think have that opportunity. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. And it honestly takes so much privilege. And even in the, like the sense of like where we are right now of me being able to understand my major depressive disorder, to understand my complex PTSD and my dissociation, like to be able to have access to free therapy in college and to be able to see a trauma therapist weekly, sometimes even multiple times a week, because I was struggling so much to be able to get access to that, to be able to really process all the stuff that I experience growing up and then to see a gender therapist as well at the school Mm. and then to also see another therapist in um the county resources after i was hospitalized and then to be able to get that work to do dialectical behavioral therapy and to just really learn how to stay in this mindset of um equilibrium of like not going extremely emotional side or extremely logical side and kind of getting lost in that but to really be able to assess like where you are and what you're feeling um Mm -hmm. and then to be able to like ground that and that was just so healing to me and I I don't think I would have been able to be the social worker the activist the friend the partner etc if I didn't do that healing work
0: yeah oh yeah because you'll start repeating these kind of like trauma um, patterns and it's important for us to break that chain. It is. um, So I know that it was probably during this time that you started to realize like something's up with my health, right? So it's like you're finally coming to an awareness and you're like finding your voice and you're like establishing yourself in your community and then tell me, like, did, what happened for your health was like, oh, whoa, well, what's up? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it. So it's been present in my life since I've been alive. Um, I didn't really know the signs or like really get to have that introspection to understand that I've been ill most of my life because I kind of slid under the radar of of having some weird medical stuff happening, but being like oh well it was just like a weird bug that I got or mm. you know I just get sick whenever I'm in the hospital because of the smells and I didn't really put it together because so much of my family has illness and so I didn't really mm. think that it was abnormal to be experiencing pain and um, like certain body functions to not be working properly or overly working and so it was in um, 2019 and it was interesting because I was Also finding my voice while I was also um, going to therapy. And after I was in therapy for a little bit, then I was able, about two years, I was able to address my health because it takes so much courage to say, I don't know what's wrong with my body, but I know something is going on right now. And Mm. we need to address this. Mm. And unfortunately, the first um, doctor's appointment that I had, I had a physician just completely dismiss and gaslight my experience. I brought a huge um, kind of packet of medical um, testing and um, just bits and pieces of like, well, this was flared on this exam and on this exam, they noticed this. And he was just completely dismissive of like, you don't know what's going on. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. You're young. And so that kind of, um, it was traumatic and terrible. And it took me some time to just talk with my therapist and to just keep pushing through that. And it took me two and a half years, I think, two and a half, three years to get a diagnosis of going to, I think I went to about 15 specialists, neurologists, rheumatologists, um, uh, cardiologists, all, and then doing a lot of like um, chiropractic and trying to see what was going on with that um doing um things like cupping therapy and acupuncture and them all saying we notice that there's something wrong but we don't know what it is and then finally I um which is kind of funny I was watching a TikTok about an illness I had I had heard about for years because I had been watching chronic illness YouTube YouTubers and really just educating myself on all of the illnesses I knew what rheumato- uh, rheumatoid arthritis was, lupus, mm. all of this stuff, and it never fit, and it was just like, I don't know. Like There's some stuff that I can take from here and some stuff I can take from there that is somewhat of what I'm experiencing, but there's not something that explains all of it. Mm. And then I saw someone explain the diagnostic criteria for hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and then that
0: was when everything like clicked. You're like, this is it. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, f- I finally found... The answer to this mystery which is your body which is like the first thing that you have an experience with and that's so because then everything outside of that becomes a huge question mark and it's like whoa I can't imagine like having to face and how old were you when you're like you went off to university and you're kind of so I
1: left when I was 18 I mm-hmm. was maybe 18 for like three months <laughs> and I, I moved And then, um, I started therapy like right after school had started at the very end of September. I started maybe like the first week in October or the second week in October. And then, um, in 2017 and then 2019, I think it was January of 2019 was when I had my first appointment to address my health.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. Anybody else would just be up drinking, partying, having uh, Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And here you are like doing the work.
1: Yeah, and that's been something that's been, like, a pattern in my life. I was actually connecting with um, a friend that I've known since we were, like, five or six. And we were talking about just growing up together in in middle school, how my twin would be, like, oh, let's go hang out. Or, like, I don't want to go to class today. Like, let's hang out in the courtyard a little bit longer and let's just talk. And I'm, like, no, I have to go. Like, I have a test. I have... I have, you know, an import- I, have, I have to speak. Yeah. I have a presentation. Like I, my passion has always been very important to me and really doing the hard work. I think that's where I've been able to connect to the deep parts of humanity and just to be able to get an experience of like honoring myself in assessing that, having that introspection, but then honoring others and like being there for them. Mm. And so that was, um, I feel like, me learning about my health gave me a different perspective and not not only taking care of other people of how I always wanted to and showing up for people, but then I had to take care of myself mm. because, you know, in 2019, I was, you know, asking questions and, and trying to understand, but what really led me to address my health and it, it was like a complete stop was when um, I was in a car accident in February of 2021.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't... Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew. Did I
1: know? I don't know. So um, I'll give you a little bit of context. So I um, lived in Riverside, so it was a very college town, um, but very suburb type of environment. So I was leaving where I was living, which was right next to my university, to go get a haircut. And I turned right onto a lane, and I was one of the first cars that had gone from the the traffic stop. Mm -hmm. And I saw a car, I was driving down this way, and I saw a car going across traffic that was going to go into the supermarket area, like the supermarket. And they had like a drive through and I saw that she was turning into the lane. I'm like, Hmm, she's, she's getting kind of close. Um, it's Uh making me kind of nervous. And so I'm just watching her and she's not even looking at traffic that's coming. She's just looking across where she's going. So there's traffic behind her that's passing her. And then me, I'm heading towards her and she's just looking straight. So I like start honking my horn like, hello, uh, I'm here. What are you like? What are you doing? And I start slamming on my brake and she isn't looking. And so I swerve into the next lane. And so I swerve into the next lane and one hand is on the wheel and one hand is like jerking myself over into the next lane to try to get away from her. And she accelerates into me. And so I get hit and I got hit at a 45 degree angle Mm -hmm. and she turned me. So she hit me. And then I didn't know this until after the accident because I was knocked unconscious from the first. Yeah, I was knocked unconscious from the first hit. And then another car hit me that was coming out of the supermarket. And then because I was going so fast, I was going like 35, 40 miles an hour. um, I got hit both sides and then. My car, I just lost complete, complete control, and I was knocked out. And so I hit the curb, and I was going so fast that I hit the curb, and my car went up onto the curb, and my back tires were what stopped me oh from hitting god. the fire hydrant.
0: Oh my god!
1: So I was probably four inches from hitting the fire hydrant, and my um my windshield was completely spider cracked, wow. my hood was broken. Um, My front end, the bumper was completely ripped off Mm -hmm. and underneath the car. And then that was, um, thankfully, I was able to get medical attention. And um, it wasn't until months later that I started to realize that I got a traumatic brain injury from the car accident. And then that was what um, catapulted all of my chronic health stuff to be even worse than it was mm. already.
0: Oh my gosh. Cause it's a neurological thing, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And so some of the people that you've interviewed before have pots. And so yeah. I, I had pots growing up and so I would have some instances of, you know, wor- working out and like playing on the playground and I would get sick, but it was never um, consistent and persistent. Mm. But after the car accident, I um, was really shook up and, was in so much pain when it happened and they took me to the ER. But I didn't know that I was knocked unconscious. I just remember like the impact and then like waking up and my head was down and waking up and lifting my head and just being really scared. And Mm. I honestly, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was, was I paralyzed Mm -hmm. because of how, how impactful it was. And so I was able to reach down and grab my phone. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm okay to a certain extent. Um, but that weekend, it happened on a Friday. I went to the ER Friday right after the accident. I went on Saturday morning, and I went again uh, Saturday evening. So I went three times to the ER. Mm. And they thought I was just having a panic attack or I was in pain. But my heart rate was skyrocketing. It was like 160. Um, I couldn't catch my breath. My temperature was all over the place. I was, um, shaking because I was in so much pain. So I was having like a tremor Mm. and any sort of movement or pressure to, um, move me or to, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't walk for a week. Um, I was completely, um, just stationary and my, Thankfully, I was dating my ex-partner at the time, so I was able to go over to their place because it was a single story, and Mm -hmm. where I lived, it was upstairs, and so I was able to be cared for by them and their family, but I just was always told, like, no, it's anxiety, and they didn't explain, these are the presentations of your symptoms, and there's other, what they call in the medical field, a differential diagnosis, other than anxiety, And so it took so long for me to understand that I had POTS. And then I was able to understand that I had POTS before I knew that I had EDS um, Mm. because POTS was so present. And then when I saw that video on TikTok, I was like, oh, I thought you're supposed to have full dislocations with this um, condition, but I didn't really have that.
0: Right. I know. It's always like that one little thing that will like
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, change it.
1: Yeah. So with POTS, it's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Mm-hmm. So your autonomic nervous system that will um, really just regulate the functions that your body doesn't think about, like breathing or temperature regulation or your heart rate, um, even just like pumping blood up and down your body whenever you're sitting or standing or laying down. Um, there's an error in that system. And so for me, I'll get blood pooling. So my blood will get stuck in my hands or it'll get stuck in my feet mm. and I get really lightheaded. Um, I'm doing IV therapy right now yeah. because I don't have enough blood in my body as well. Oh yeah. So I try to intake as much water as I can and do mm. as much electrolytes, but it's not enough. So I do, um, IV infusions and therapy with a port. So Mm -hmm. I got a central line in my chest so that um, because my POTS was so bad that I was just not able to function and I was doing everything I possibly could, but I was passing out in classes. I was having to lay down on the floor during lecture because I was so sick. Mm -hmm. I, um, it was sometimes leading me into having um, a migraine and I would lose my vision and I would fall down the stairs or I fell in the shower once and it was just so persistent that it was like, okay, I really need to understand. And then it really made me um look back and be like, okay, well, it was when the car accident hit me and I was not unconscious. And just pulling all these medical um information into like a centralized place where I was educating myself. And then I was able to get connected to a specialist who mm. was um who knew everything about the condition. So she was like, yes, you have pots You have the worst POTS that I've ever seen, and that was aggravated by the car accident. Of course. And then you have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a genetic condition that affects the collagen in your body. So it affects all of your organs, all of your bones, muscles, tissues, everything. Um, And then you also have mast cell activation syndrome, which is super complex, and i very. sparingly understand what it is but basically it means that because the collagen in my body and the mast cells are interacting with each other instead of having an interaction of friction and then they just kind of fly off from one another and they stay in where they're supposed to be because my collagen is faulty and I don't have good collagen they'll interact and then the mast cells will leak out of wherever they are and then it'll cause reaction so some people will have anaphylaxis I'll have um like I have always had really difficult time with acne and um any sort of like rashes things like that it can also cause even more um symptoms within your bodily functions of like stomach pain Mm. or it can make your pots even worse and all this stuff so it's all interconnected and surprisingly I've only been diagnosed a little over a year
0: Oh wow. Mhm.
1: And so I kind of just um jumped into it right away and was like looking at a bunch of treatment, was seeing specialists, um asked to get this port to improve my quality of life and um made the decision to take a year off school because I was just so sick that I was I can't, I don't even know how I finished my senior year.
0: I know it's a huge (laughs) accomplishment all on its own and Mm -hmm. then with everything that you've been having to go through yeah Mm -hmm. um as you know you saw the interview that I had with Stephanie Mm -hmm. Walterman and um what was such a like a pivot for her was whenever she had the experience where she finally met the doctor who was like I see you this is what's going on let's help you start treatment. Mm-hmm. It always seems like such a freaking miracle, right? And it's sad that it is that way. Yeah. Like you're like talking about like the way that our society is structured and then kind of like the systems within it. Like I know that before you're uh, like a really big advocate for um these different communities that you're part of but like all of a sudden you're part of this other community. So it's like I'm curious, like, what, what, how's your mind already, like, your leadership is like, okay, we need to, like, get people in to get seen. Like, what, how's your mind working? That's a brilliant
1: question. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to be catapulted into the disability community. And I really fought it for a long time because Mm. I, I didn't want to be sick. And have you heard of the Enneagram? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm the achiever. So Ooh, that's that's my I thing see that. very much so. <laughs> I'm like the definition of the achiever. So like I'm always wanting to do work and learn more and connect. And so when I was forced to stop and to pause, I was angry and I was upset. And I um, remember really early on into me using mobility aids, and you know I was first starting with a cane, and then I was using um, any sort of um, kind of like a wrap. Mm. or um, a brace or something like that, that you could buy from like Walgreens. And I remember I would wear them and then I would get frustrated. I would get angry and I would just throw my cane on the floor or throw them in the back of my closet and be like, I don't want this. I I don't, I don't want this life. And then I had to pause and think, okay, well, this is ableism talking. Mm. This is this feeling of not feeling like I'm good enough, not feeling like, My goals are going to be accomplished because of this life that I'm living. Mm. And I really had to listen to that dark part of my brain and that dialogue that was going on because it was feeling like I'm going to fail and I'm just going to be this really, I'm going to have this really sad, terrible life. And that is so far from the truth. And I can also acknowledge that like I at that point, I was in so much pain. I didn't know what was going on. I was really scared. And I really wanted answers. And so what I did was I leaned into that mm. fear and I started educating myself. And I started putting in that energy to take care of myself. And then I started educating myself from people in the disability community and listening to their stories and listening to people who had terminal illnesses and people who were chronically ill or who had a dynamic disability like mine, who it changes. Sometimes I can walk and I'm not using any sort of mobility. And other times I'm in a wheelchair or I'm using forearm crutches and to reframe it to be a beautiful experience, that disability is natural and that it impacts so many communities. And it's, it's such a huge part of Um, diversity Mm -hmm. and to really think it like no like that's wrong like what I was told about being sick about being ill it's not a bad thing It, it honestly gave me this extra sense of care and compassion and this really radical self love because I had to learn how to take care of my body and how to look at other people and how they were taking care of their body Mm. and um so yeah so the online chronic illness community and like disability community really helped me reframe it and then when I was going through the stages of not being diagnosed and trying to figure that out and then when I was diagnosed there was so much community that was supporting me and I was able to talk about The really exciting stuff of like, oh my gosh, I got new compression socks and they're incredible. I got a new wheelchair. Look at how cool this is. Um, And to really just reframe that because Mm -hmm. it isn't disability that makes it a struggle. It's inaccessibility. Mm -hmm. It's not having quality medical providers. Mm -hmm. It's being gaslit about your symptoms. It's having to defend your, your place and your space because the director of the internship program at my my school told me that she told me multiple times during my senior year that I needed to come back when I overcame my circumstances and I was no longer disabled.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: And so her own insecurities of my illness, of what I could accomplish and what my limits were, she projected that onto me and said, no, you need to Be healed. You need to find this cure that's not there because I have a genetic condition. So it's not going to go away. And even with all the healing that I've done from the car accident, a TBI is long-term. And you're always going to have the impacts of that. And so I really had to fight for my place and to tell her, it's your job as a director to make space for me and to make things accessible. And you're not going to tell me that I'm not allowed to be in this program because the clients that we are working with are disabled. Mm. They are mentally ill. Wow. And you're not going to tell me that my, de- my depression and my PTSD and my chronic illness and disability, my mobility aids, is something that's going to restrict me from being in this field because that experience and that knowledge of this experience and then also being queer of having that knowledge should give me a better perspective as what our clients are going through and to be able to give them even more compassion and then to share my knowledge of my experience to my classmates, if so they can understand, oh, okay. So this is what it, what it's like to be disabled at a young age. This is what it's like
0: to be queer. Mm. Mm-hmm. You are incredible. I, um, I, I really appreciate that perspective of being able to tap into that frequency of like, no, these people need people, especially with the field that you're in, that can hear them. Mm-hmm. And it's like you are offering that listening ear, not from a state of privilege or not from a state of let me help you. It's more of a state of like, whoa, I know what that feels like. Let's work through this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I'm wondering what time we're at because. Oh goodness, we've only test scratched the surface. Perfect, okay. Um, because I know that you're doing a lot right now, and um, I, I, you did something with your your senior year. I remember you talking about it. Like, what what was that? It was like this big, huge project that you had to do. But what what was it specialized in, or what was the what was it all about?
1: So there was a lot.
0: Um, I wrote a couple
1: papers on. So one of the papers that I wrote was health disparities in the BIPOC communities. So I was Mm. taking a um, black studies course and we were really just talking about how all of these um, intersectional identities and experiences will impact communities. And um, that was actually around the time that I was diagnosed. And so I was talking about the health disparities in BIPOC communities because not only are we addressing the lack of access to quality medical care and really just having um, being able to build that resilience to go through the medical process. Because like we were saying, it's not always affirming or supportive and you're having to continuously call and push and advocate. And even sometimes I've had disagreements and arguments with doctors or reporting doctors because of really inappropriate behavior. Mm. And so, you know, you really have to look at, okay, well, of this is going on how do we you know how do we address this and so um i researched the impacts of health disparities in BIPOC communities and how the impacts of racism and the impacts of slavery and um i specifically broke it down into each community so like the black community the indigenous community the um, latinx community the latina community the asian pacific islander hawaiian community, all of these communities, um, to break down, like, how is their experience with the medical system and addressing their health concerns, Mm. um, being addressed. And then I also worked on, um, a paper that was based on my internship. So I did an internship with the behavioral health system out there. And I worked with clients who were experiencing severe and persistent mental illness. So, a lot of the clients were diagnosed with personality disorders or they were experiencing um they were experiencing psychosis, which basically means that they were either um seeing things or hearing things that weren't there
0: yeah conspiracies mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and having a lot of delusions and all of that stuff and so we really had to work with these clients who were not only um had so many high needs but then they also um really just distrusted the medical system because Mm. of like previous experiences or feeling shame about that. So I did a lot of clinical counseling, um, during that. So I wrote papers on the people that I met there and the lovely, um, perspective that I was able to learn walking alongside them. And then, um, I was also running Prism. So it was a Mm. LGBTQ plus social support group that was at my university. So it had been in existence for, I think it's been going on for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so we Mm -hmm. first started it when I was finding my voice and kind of finding everything. We first started it off as social events and Mm -hmm. really just building community of queer students at a religious campus and talking about our experiences of coming out and um, our religious upbringing and all of that stuff, really just building that community And then the more I got into my social work field and started really learning about the systems of oppression and the systems that work within our systems, I started Mm. analyzing, okay, so we built this community. We have these strong stories and these strong leaders that are connecting and we're giving each other back this love. But then also our university had discriminatory policies. They had professors who were continuously saying really inappropriate things about queer people and trans people Mm. and trying to debate our identities and whether or not us existing was holy and a part of God's plan it was really traumatic for a lot of us I took a lot a lot of time to um, try to address that individually but then to also address that with the, um, the bodies within there yeah. of departments or um, their senior bosses yeah. or things like that. Um, and so in that, we kind of pivoted and I created an alternate activism group called PRISM United. Mm. And so we were, we're using the experience that we learned from PRISM and the community to also work with the university president and the provost and the director of PRISM who was a psychologist who spent years studying um queer people and the experiences that we go through in a multi-generational multi-cultural background and then he would like apply that into his um his research in his field and so we really started addressing all of these um really terrible things that we were i was going through the student handbook and highlighting and <sighs> like, doing work on top of the work that I was already doing, and, um, in hindsight, I realized how much I was, I was putting so much effort into giving into other people and showing up for my communities and all that stuff, which then again led me, like, needing to take a year off, but, um, yeah, so we were putting in all this effort and looking at these policies, and then around that time, I was, um, I was contacted by a friend who had heard about, a lawsuit that was starting that was called the Religious Exemption Accountability Project.
0: Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm.
1: So, REAP is looking at um, the Title IX exemptions that exist within private universities. So, right now, if you go to a public university, because they're funded publicly, yeah. they have to follow Title IX. So, they have to follow follow the sexual harassment, gender identity, and sexuality um, protections that are listed within that also like sports and things like that. But if you go to a private university that um, has their own religious tie, a lot of times they have something called a religious exemption. So if they're discriminating based on sexuality or um, gender identity, they can Mm -hmm. say, well, wait, no, this is part of our religious freedom as part of this institution. So we don't need to follow Title IX. We don't need to report this. And so... I joined a lawsuit about 35 people starting, and then now um, there's been some people that have added onto the lawsuit, and some people have kind of um, left and closed that chapter. But we are suing the Department of Education, mm. and um, we're also suing the, um, I can't put a name to it right now, but it is the, um, of the IRS. So we're suing the oh. Department of Education and the IRS because the IRS funds all of that yeah. and is looking at that. To remove these Title IX exemptions. So unfortunately, a couple of months ago, we heard back from the judge that was overseeing the case. Um, because the law firm is out in Portland area, so all of us that are a part of the lawsuit are all throughout the country, different places. So we continuously check up on the lawsuit, and they denied our claim. And they said, "Well, we I, we can identify that it's wrong and discriminatory for." you all to be exposed to trauma from these religious universities but it's not up to the court to force them to
0: well then who do you hold accountable like what like there's Mm -hmm. some sort of like fracture inside of the system that is allowing these things to like stay in place
1: yeah exactly so right now we're in the appeals process and a lot of um the plaintiffs that are part of the case or who are formerly part of the case were just sharing their stories online and reap has, um, an incredible Instagram page and website that not only shares each of us plaintiffs and our stories, but then it also is talking about other people and like why it matters and they're doing protests and things like that. And so it was really hard for me, but I had to take a step away from that because I was so tired and I was so ill Mm that I was like, okay, I'm going to leave it to the other plaintiffs. I'm going to leave it to the organization. I'm still going to be connected to it. And I did make, um, about two posts about my involvement in that, but I need to like completely, I was like, Cameron, you need to turn everything off. You need to take one year to focus on your health and yourself so that when you're able to re-engage with these communities, you're able to be there and be present because you cannot be present if yeah. you're passing out or if you're so ill that like you're you're disoriented and all this stuff. And so um, I've taken the last year off and then have done really small little bits of community work to just kind of stay in that passion. And then now I'm in this transition point where I'm trying to find my way back into that work. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you're doing a great job. T- I mean, that space is already there for you. You know what I mean? You've already done... The work, And I think that it's really important to get in touch with your health. You know that I also did something very similar with my own health and my own like recovery process from mm. alcohol and addiction. So uh, I totally respect it. And I know a lot of people do. Um, what I really appreciate about your experience and your value as an activist is that you show up and you're like inviting everybody's voice at the table. Mm. And that's so, so refreshing to hear in a, in a culture where there's so many people that are wanting to be, like we're wanting to silence them or we're mm-hmm. wanting to defame them or, you know, tear down their identity. But it's like, no, like we're here, we're part of the human experience. and I think that's what makes for me and I'm sure for you and all these people that like kind of have that said like, oh, well it's wrong, but we can't do anything about It's like, well, you're like God's plan. Like this is it's happening right here right now like we're part of we just want these people that are empowered to see us and Mm -hmm. invite us to the potluck (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) invite us to the table yeah Yeah. and that's and uh, you honestly bring up a beautiful point because um yes i am cameron and i am this leader but i also represent my communities i represent being an indigenous person Mm -hmm. being a latinx person being someone who's chronically ill and mentally ill and disabled and, um, grew up in New Mexico and has this, you know, this deep tie to this community. And it honestly was a really beautiful experience to be able to not only learn how to accurately and to, you know, equitably represent my communities, but then to also know that I don't always need to do it. You know, I don't always need to be the one in the front talking because how did I become a leader? I learned from other leaders. I was mentored. I was nurtured in this community that had so many beautiful um, spiritual leaders and community leaders and activists, and they were the ones who I learned from. They were the ones who I connected with early on in my journey of doing. Um, I was part of the spiritual leadership team, so I did that and a lot of program coordinating and stuff when I first started at La Sierra. And then I transitioned over to Prism and kind of really just being an observer and helping at certain events. But then throughout that time, I really was like, okay, so if I'm going to learn how to do this right, and if I'm going to do this in a way that accurately shows up for my communities, I need to learn from other people who are doing this because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have... Other people that were like me, so much of my family are not activists. They're not social workers. They're not um, these change makers. They have other gifts of so giving back to their communities and showing up with their skills and their traits. And for me, I had to realize, okay, so it's so different from them. So I need to connect with the people who are doing this work. Mm. And so I w- had so many lovely, incredible um, mentors that I walked alongside and shadowed and really just like encouraged me and built me up to mm. be this leader and I totally um, will always honor their knowledge and their experience and like carry that with me and then also encourage other people to engage in activism and to engage in protest because everyone's voice matters yeah. and my experience my life experience brought me to the table to talk about disability to talk about LGBTQ issues to talk about BIPOC issues and and beyond mental health um and my knowledge isn't all encompassing. I don't know what it's like to experience communities outside of my own. So I need perspective. I need help. And if you're like if we're going to do this together, if we're going to sit down at the table, then I also need to know that You need to check me if I'm out of balance, if I'm out of line, if I am continuing to perpetuate harmful ideologies of the patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism, because that is so much of our, you know, indoctrination and what we're taught growing up in America is just following the system and following You know, all of this stuff that was built from a lot of white men, slave owners, this country was founded on racism and violence and, you know, discrimination. And so we need to, like, be intentional about, you know, recalibrating ourselves. And so part of that work and one of the things that I learned from my year off was not only taking a break and nurturing myself, but then also saying, okay, well, let's see in the parts of my activism where I wasn't always showing up right or there were gaps in the protection and the affirmation and the compassion that I was showing other people. And I, again, started therapy again with the new therapist (laughs) (laughs) and really started looking at my identity and how my transness is, is and will continue to be this molding form of my activism. And I honestly feel so deeply connected to who I am now that I've allowed myself to transition and Mm. pause and recalibrate that me engaging back into that work is just, I'm, I'm so excited.
0: I'm so, so freaking happy for you. Like you're doing it, you're doing it. And it's so like, I keep on using the word excitement because it feels like it's happening. Like it feels like we're about to like do the thing that like, flips the whatever and then the whole thing changes like um did you ever see horton here's a who i haven't no oh the, you have to watch it but okay. like there's a scene where they're all in the little speck right and mm. nobody believes that they're on the speck and so they're like, we are here, we are here, we are here. And then it's one person's voice at the end. He like does like the yo and it goes through and it breaks oh, through and everybody starts cool. hearing them. And it was because of that one little voice that allowed all the other little voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're like the, you're like the voice. You're like the one little voice is going to be like, and everything's going to change. Like mm-hmm. The whole paradigm going to shift. Yeah.
1: It's, it's honestly the dream and really being able to. Um, do LGBTQ plus activism and being able to lead um, spiritual like leadership teams Mm -hmm. and then to also work in Congress and to be out in DC with these change makers and to just really see that was just so um, inspiring and it reminded me that um, because I was you know as most of us do dealing with imposter syndrome and like what am I doing here? Like, you know, do I really belong in these spaces? Can I actually do this work beyond, you know, university settings of the the smaller reach that I've had? Um, but then I realized, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it other than me? Who's going to show up for my community? Who has all of this experience of Cameron and, and all these lived experiences that's going to show up in the way that honors me? It's me. Yeah. And I'm going to you know, I have that drive, I have that passion, I want to be an achiever, I want to go back and get my master's in social work, I want to go to law school, I want to figure out how to either do restorative justice work within the system, or to do a lot of um, abolition work to talk about, you know, dismantling these systems, and I still very much am trying to figure out where I want to be and how I want to do that, either like, you know, within Congress and legislation and all that stuff or if I want to do, um, law and like civil rights and really being able to represent people and to, you know, educate them on the ways in which the laws are protecting them and really just impacting the, you know, the legislative part of our government to make a stance and to cover certain protections that are either missing or there's gaps in them. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, Hard work, and it's honestly really scary. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Because there's this, like, you know, fear of failure and Mm. this fear of what if I'm not showing up in the right way, or how am I going to do this while being sick? Mm. Because while I have engaged in my health, and like we were talking about earlier, I'm glowing and I don't look as sick and I'm not as um, debilitated by my symptoms, and at the same time, I still am symptomatic every single day and so really just learning how to um be confident and bold about having my mobility aids having medical devices talking to people and that's one of the things that i really hope for our communities and for humanity is to really to be able to look at disability and to not look away from it and to ask questions and Kids are wonderful at that. They yeah. will be like, what are you using that for? Like, why do you have a tube? Like, that's that's weird. Like, what is that? Like, how does it help you? And you're really able to have these conversations with these kids of like, this helped me walk. This helped me feel amazing. I can be so symptomatic and be in my wheelchair and just feel so much peace and have so much um, joy to be able to experience life because of these tools, because of this intervention because of this medication and that that is what we should work towards of like not only giving people the tools and the intervention that they need but then also addressing you know the ways in which ableism is impacting our jobs and me being able to get a job and me saying hey I'm disabled and my application being thrown off because they're like I don't want to deal with that I don't want to deal with someone who's disabled or who has complex medical needs all of that stuff. Um, And so it makes me nervous to go back um, because of all of my presentations and and knowing how intense it is to take care of a port, to take care of doing IV fluids and running them by myself, Um, as well as just I've only been diagnosed for a year. So there's still so much that I have to learn about how to take care of my body. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I am not going to let other people's limitations of what it looks like to be an activist, what it looks like to be a leader, to show up in those communities. So I'm just going to be honest and say, like I told you before this interview, I'm going to get ready and I'm going to lay down. Yep. I'm going to rest, get my body all um, ready and you know excited for this interview so that I can show up and be here and be present and then we can have this amazing experience and if I need some extra support if I need to move around a little bit because I'm in pain or whatever then you know we can show up but it's like beautiful to have a space where you can share your story and talk about your life experiences and then to also not feel like your disability is a, a negative or something that's so wrong. It needs to be healed. All
0: that. I know. Yeah, like such a hindrance or something. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, we're making magic, still. Well, it doesn't even matter. And with, and I told you that. Mm-hmm. Like the sound of the machine is like, it's it's a beautiful sound because it's bringing you life and it's bringing us this experience in a lot of ways. And um, I'm just I'm just so happy to see what you're creating, Cameron. And I just love you so much. And. Um, I wanna. I want you to compose real quick inside of your mind. Um, If you were talking to someone, I I want you to kind of like put your future self in mind Mm. and kind of your past self in mind. And I want you to think about like what would you say to someone who's like struggling to find their voice or struggling to find their community? What would you say to that person that's like ready to like take that leap but like not sure quite not Mm. not quite sure how?
1: I would say to take some time to just love on yourself Mm -hmm. and to just engage in either therapy work or community work or in like the deep connection with friends and having conversations like this I feel like um I really got so much perspective from sitting down and talking to friends and talking about our passions and our fears and our experience of recovery and to be able to show up for other people um and so that was you know how i learned about my neurodivergency of friends being like yeah i you know i could see it you you should probably talk to someone about that and then um you know because community is everywhere yeah and we all want to belong we all want a community to find home in to find Mm. our passions in and so um, for me, what I did a lot in therapy was sitting down and putting out a map of, like, who is Cameron? And that's the lovely thing about social work is that in order to help clients, you have to learn about yourself. Oh wow. So we wrote so many papers doing our own um, psychosocial assessments on ourselves, doing personality tests, reading these really introspective books that we're talking about, um, leadership and ourself and honoring ourself and spirituality and all of the stuff that makes us humans and you know that connection to others um and so yeah just loving on yourself and learning about yourself is one of the best ways to figure out where you are and then just in community and go to those community events and go to that thing. And if you're nervous or you're scared, invite a friend, invite a family member and I still struggle with that. I remember when I moved to California, I was forced to make friends. I was forced to have a community because I didn't know anyone. I mm. moved out there. I had been to California 3 times in my life and I didn't know anyone. And so I I really had to learn about other people and just take that vulnerable step of like, hi, I'm Cameron. Like, this is like what I show up as like, Hey, can we go get coffee? Can we study together? Um, and when you take that vulnerable step to connect with people to say, Hey, Zivian, I love you. I love your energy. I love your experience to, um, really just connect with people on a deeper level. I feel like I've always had this deep connection to you and felt like I've known you for years. Yeah. Um, and just really vocalize that to other people and say, mm-hmm. like, I really love that you have this passion for music. I love that you have this passion for activism or cooking or recovery and storytelling and all of this stuff. Like, I would really love to walk alongside you and just like to learn and to build community with you And for some people, you're going to learn and you're going to be like, okay, that that community is not mine. I don't have that passion. But you, like, use that and you take what you learned from that person and say, like, thank you for all that you've taught me and helped shape my perspective. And now I'm going to use that to, like, carry into that.
0: Wow. I just, um, I can't wait to watch back the footage. And, like, I just, there's so many gems, so many so many beautiful things that you're doing and so much discovery that you've experienced within yourself. And then, um, in the bigger picture, and I want to have you on again. I want to have you on again. And we yeah. want to talk about the relationship that you've had with deity, the relationship that you have with your spiritual walk mm. and how that's evolved and how you've experienced challenges. Cause I know that like, it wasn't like, I was just like, Oh yeah. Um, I have a, a relationship with God and now I have, this relationship with the same sex attraction and those totally commingle and they're fine with each other and yeah. there's no pain. <laughs> no, I don't. have.
1: There's no religious problem at all. We're yeah. just, we're totally fine.
0: Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah. So I'll definitely have you on again and, um, I just, yeah, I'll include your Instagram and then do you have any other like, uh, links that you have that you want to share? Yeah, I can send them to you. Okay. Yeah. I'll mm-hmm. include them all. And, um, for those listening Cameron is beautiful and has this beautiful shirt on it says trans rights are human rights is like this beautiful shirt I love so much we'll connect again soon and uh yeah I'll go ahead and end the podcast here